you got to build in silence. And then when you got the cash, you got a little bit of progress. We're going to sprint past them. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Our Future Podcast. I'm your host, Simran Sandhu. I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Michael Sakan. And this is the podcast where we cover young founders and tell you the tactics, strategies, and all the other good stuff that they use to build their business. Now, why should you be listening to us? Well, Michael and I sold our media company in our early 20s to Morning Brew. Um, it's the fun media brand. Everyone loves Morning Brew, right? So today, we're talking about two young cats who are building a really sexy company in the insurance space. So sexy company, boring industry. The company is called Covertree. Um, and the guys we're talking about, so it's two of them. One of them is Adarsh Rachmale. He is the co-founder CEO. And his other co-founder and CTO, his name is Divyan Sharma. What defines a sexy company though, right? Because like some <laughs> would say like sexy company is like, you know, a magazine, you know, or like, you know, some kind of vanity business. But you're describing this business as sexy. The way he described it to us was that it was unsexy, but almost like we're almost like, you know, how like society is like changing what they find attractive. I almost feel like we're un unsexy businesses are now the sexy businesses. Well, it's sexy. Agree? It's sexy because it's almost futuristic in a little bit. And what I mean by that is so what this company does is they're an insure tech company. They're focused on middle America and specialty insurance lines. But let's break it down into simple English. What they really yeah, do what is that, what the they, fuck does that even mean? They insure <laughs> homes that are built out of factories, right? So anything that is produced in a factory from a home standpoint, these people will find a way to insure it. And that's what I think is kind of cool. It's giving a little bit of like, I don't know why, maybe it's living in Austin for a little too long. I just think everything is like a Tesla factory right now. I think it's distorted the way I look at machinery in factories. Do you think do you think he insures Ritwick sheds or no? Maybe, maybe. Actually, that's funny enough. Like what I was thinking about when he was describing this, he was like, yeah, we yeah. insure ADUs and, you know, these modular homes and all this other stuff. I think even like stationary travel tailor trailers and park models. And I was like, ah, this is our guy Ritwick Pavan over at Krava. Dude, what makes me laugh about these guys is just like, I'm sitting here watching this like absolute like tank university of michigan graduate he's like yeah man we were just kind of looking at a way to conquer middle america i'm like damn dude that's like aggressive he's like yeah i wanted to take over middle america and i was like fuck um and he's like you know just shouting off like all these stats and stuff and he's like really charismatic and i'm like really into it yeah and then yeah. he's like yeah man like you're like why did you start in arizona so they started the business in arizona as their first market i think they're in like 15 states now but uh, obviously, as like an insurance provider for homes, uh, it's quite a lot of like legal work to get through the processes in each state. Yeah, but starts in Arizona. And like the way you described it was just like, so insurance guy. He's like, well, yeah, you know, we've never really seen a weather event that can wipe out a portfolio in Arizona. And I'm just like, dude, those are people's homes. It's yeah. like, he's just looking at it. He's on the bird's eye view, right? No, no, he struck, he, he struck me as very empathetic. He didn't strike me as just like, you know, a, a finance guy trying to find an arbitrage and make some money at it, which is, I think, how most insurance people view it. The way you describe it is he was working at LinkedIn, right? So he was working on a lot of like PM type opportunities and stuff uh, within that company. And 
they were really interested in the problems that middle America faced. Right. And so the thesis behind it, and Mike, tell me if I'm wrong, was that, you know, housing is getting extremely expensive. And so people are going to look into these alternative forms. Right. So that's what got him down this rabbit hole of modular homes. And then to your point, they thought that Arizona was a great market for it. And that was for a few reasons. Right. Like no big catastrophe opportunities. It's an older market. Um generally like higher insurance ratings overall. So um, it sounds like they've just chipped away and like they built a big business for themselves. Yeah. You know, you know, when people talk about like, okay, we're going to go out and like look at a certain demographic and just engineer a business idea based on like what their problems are. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Right. Like they knew nothing about this industry, knew nothing about insurance and they simply just studied the, the market and came up with a business idea. So I think that's really cool. Cause like, I feel like I've been in a thought process lately that you can only really build in what you know, but it was refreshing to hear that these guys, you know, straight up canvassed an entire demographic of this country and figured out what a pain point in their lives were, right? So the Geico for manufactured homes is kind of what we're hearing here as for this company. And I just think it's crazy that manufactured homes, like he said that, you know, obviously they're the only company that really looked at manufactured homes and singled in on that as an insurance category. And he's like, if we just like took that, right, just in premiums, we, that's a $10 billion market a year. And that was shocking to me. And that's just premiums. The actual value of the property insured is probably worth hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, which is insane. Just manufactured homes. Yeah, but it's so small in the insurance world. Like $10 billion in premiums, that sounds like a massive number to you and I, but it is, again, a niche business, right? They're focusing on a very specific product line for a very specific kind of asset class, if you will. Um, and if they own the market, that is, they own 100% of it, the max is $10 billion, right? So that's why I think as like a startup and you're trying to cover in, or you're trying to find ground in these very traditional old industries, you have to kind of look like, uh, you know, open up those rocks that like there are some small opportunities that it's just not worth a progressive trying to go chase, right? So the best example here is, you know, you may think of progressive, you may think of Allstate and it's like, well, they have so much coverage across all of these different product lines. Why would they not go after the modular home space if this if there's actually some traction here? And the real answer is, is that it's just too small of a market, right? $10 billion, that sounds big. It's not really that big in the insurance world. And if they were trying to unlock another $10 billion in premiums, the realistic situation would be they would just run an advertising campaign in auto or like some of their other existing home pipelines and coverage that they offer. And that would yield probably a similar result and would just probably align with their their product strategy and their roadmap way more than them trying to insert themselves in a niche field. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting, though, how progressive, sure, they're ignoring this market. But in ignoring the market, they're missing out on a much bigger business opportunity than just insuring manufactured homes. The way Adarsh described it was the quality of his customers are unmatched. When people think of manufactured homes, they might simply jump to, you know, Cheeto eating trailer park trash. Yeah, stereotype right? for sure. But, but really, these are often people living in, you know, premium 55 plus living communities who are, I mean, the way he was shouting off statistics, I was like mind blown. He's like, yeah, you know, they're 15.5 times more likely to own a motorcycle. They are 10 times more likely to own a boat. They are three times more likely to have other property. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. He's found this weird niche of home building and residence. 
And now uh, he he's going to be able to upsell those consumers into more insurance products. They really love the experience, right? So I think that's mind blowing in that maybe he could build his own little progressive out of this particular market. And if it continues to grow, this could be seriously big one day. Yeah, totally. And to your point, it's an older affluent, like, ICP or group of people, right? So like in Arizona, mm-hmm. again, they're finding retirees, people with money. Um, so many other different areas that they could provide coverage down the road too, right? Like um, I think that it's just people usually think of, you know, things that depreciate quickly. Uh, so like cars and some of the other stuff or things that are just generally liable for needing insurance. But there's so much out of the box thinking that I think that can still be applied here. Like, I think what I would draw, you know, an analogy to here is like, uh, the world of investing, right? Like traditionally it was always like stocks, bonds, private companies, blah, 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 blah. And now like there's been massive companies built off of the principle of like alternative investing. Right. So now it's like art and like really strange things, but there's money there and where there's money, there's opportunity. So, um, I think the Mm -hmm. same goes for him. Yeah, one signal he looked at when starting his business was he saw that like Lemonade and um, Hippo were, you know, going public and raising massive amounts of venture. So InsureTech was a hot category. I think they just really needed to figure out, okay, we're first time founders, we're a bunch of kids. How can we go after a niche that nobody's looking at that will have time to build slowly and move methodically in, right? And that's what they did with CoverTree. You know, they're not going to be the insurer of your cell phone and your possessions and run, you know, mass media marketing campaigns. But what they will do is secure an audience, like a specific audience, and do the best they can to serve them. Um, you know, he can't beat them with marketing dollars, but he can beat them with like customer experience, user interface, all that stuff. He says, like, it's just so garbage. Like, what kind of what people are used to when it comes to getting a uh, home insurance? I mean, dude. The insurance industry kind of sucks. Like, dude, I'm still paying for the I'm still paying for the rent, uh, rent renters insurance that we had in Austin. Why? Because you have to call Liberty. Because you have to call Liberty Mutual to cancel it. It's one of those like, asshole companies. Dude, right? why not it's just like cancel it? That would take like 30 minutes at max. Even if they put you through like three different transfers, then they're putting you on hold. Well, it's only $21 a month. Oh, I so see. So it almost doesn't feel worth the effort, you know? The boy's time is precious. <laughs> i got to be making money every second. You're, I guess you are their <laughs> ideal ICP. They, it's like the same thing as like getting like a Planet Fitness membership. It's like once you're in, oh, yeah. the cost to, and time required to go cancel it is just so high that it's like, screw it. Yeah. You just got a member for life. You know what else I thought that was really interesting about these guys is, you know, they didn't necessarily go jump into building the business. Like there was this middle part, right, which is he was working at LinkedIn, you know, uh, meets his co-founder somewhere along that, right? It doesn't sound like the co-founder was at LinkedIn as well. Um, and then building a company in the insure tech space. So let's talk a little bit about like what happened in the middle there. And I think the best way in what happened with these guys is they were really interested in the insure tech space. They were really interested in, you know, this, this modular homes and what that looks like. So what they did is they found a way to like learn from players in the space, right? So do you remember how that story was told? He was either working with a company or an agency. They underwrited these loans or they underwrited these insurance policies, um, and that was how they got their foot in the door, right? They, they learned before they took the big dive in and went and raised venture funding. I think it also says something about the venture climate right now, right? Like 
this company, you know, just went through a round of fundraising recently. And it's like the company's getting funded are those that have found like a really strong niche, that have found profitable customers, and that have a really strong path to profitability, right? It's like stuff like this that you're, you know, people are raising money for. It's not like, you know, these big consumer plays or um, kind of these bloated, you know, larger businesses. It's really these niche uh, riches in the niches type businesses. Another thing that I found really interesting about this is that you can provide insurance coverage across several different parts within a single asset. So there, what, what he refers to here is the tranches, right? So he can provide a tranche where they insure the home. They can provide a tranche where they insure the contents inside the home. They can insure the liability. So if you slip and fall in the home, they can also provide coverage there. And it made me think about um, the Sam Zell quote, right? I was listening to, again, another episode of uh, the Founders Podcast, and they were talking about maximizing the individual parts within you know, your, the asset that you own. And I find this to be really, really interesting, right? It's like you can bundle a bunch of things together and try to come up with, you know, um, some some value, right? That you're you're trying to construct value by tying it together. But can you make the individual pieces as uh, lucrative as possible? Because if you can do that, the greater sum is even going to be magnitudes bigger than what it would be if you just were weren't really being intentional around that. And I just find that to be an interesting thing here. Yeah, could you imagine like all the dynamic pricing models and like data analysis they do to be like okay like you know granny uh cleans her floors with you know bona and it's slippery and like i don't know like there's just such like advanced targeting right like how could you truly truly profit maximize and leave as little consumer surplus as possible through all these different tragedies of insurance um totally speaking of founders podcast there's a re- dude I'm, i like that you mentioned that because i get chills down my spine every time i hear a quote like that because i was listening to ted turner's one and he said something he said something similar ted turner the founder of cnn uh owned the atlanta braves baseball team uh one of his like biggest lines was you don't have to be better than your competitors, but you have to be better at combining your assets totally. than your competitors. Totally. Right? So just being able to use creatively all the different things you own to build like an attack strategy is like the way to win in business. And I was like, damn, that makes me think a lot about the Sam Zell quote as well. These guys just think the same way because they're fucking billionaires. Yeah, it's also putting them <laughs> together, but also selling away individual parts when they're no longer aligned, when they no longer align from a strategic standpoint. So like that Ted Turner example, there was a time when like he just needed a lot of money for Turner Broadcasting. So he started selling off these individual parts. And because again, he maximized the value of every single little thing that was a part of this bigger conglomerate, he was able to 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 get such high premiums for it and i think the same thing happens here right like you know adarsh could go deeper into the liability business my hunch is like liability business sucks because that just means you're constantly getting claims like crazy um and then there's also that you know group of people that are just opportunistic and they're just like trying to uh play the game and and screw over Deep insurance companies insurance. yeah yeah and so like who knows maybe he builds a really valuable business that in in just from that specific product line one day he says screw it like we're just gonna sell this off and then he uses that money to go fund you know whatever is in their product roadmap so i think another interesting way to think about this is maybe you're not building in insurance right 
you're building in a total, a totally different industry or field, right? So how would you think about it, right? How do you make the tech as valuable as possible? How do you build out distribution in a way that is very, very profitable, right? Um, some companies like we talk about are building like their own media companies internally, right? So they're building out their own content divisions. They're building out their own IP. Um, and so it's like, if you can be intentional about that really early on, like it gives you so many rooms to maneuver, maybe down the road, it's like, you don't want to sell your entire business. Maybe you just want to free up some liquidity for yourself. So you sell off the content and media side. Um, again, I know you have to take it with a grain of salt because like, you don't want to chase down every shiny object. We talk about that a lot, but it has changed my thinking as of recent is like, how do you maximize the individual parts? And I think that's something that's going to stick with me for a long time. Another thing that stood out to me about this story, right, is like the distribution channels that they went with. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of by nature of the asset class of manufactured homes and that manufactured homes are very rarely one off. Right. They're mostly built in um, in concert with other homes right like the yeah high volume yeah yeah totally yeah like cookie cutter type you know as you said retired communities desert communities forest communities and i'm like that is awesome because i don't need to go out and sell each individual manufactured homeowner i mean how on earth would i even target them right so his biggest distribution partner is one of the biggest companies in the world blackstone (laughs) which owns a massive portfolio of manufactured homes. Incredible. I swear to God, dude, there could be any obscure asset class, like, I don't know, like zebra skin factories and Blackstone would own those fuckers. Um, so he partners with them and uh, he partners with other kind of large real estate owners and that's how he distributes the insurance. So I don't know. I love that he well, doesn't have to well, compete well, on well, CAC. Let's, or, let's dive deeper yeah. into the distribution model, right? I think to really appreciate how what he's doing now and how it's uh, evolved, you have to look at how things were being done in the past. And so 20 years ago, you know, the way the model worked is you had a ton of agents and effectively how it worked is you were a captive agent. So this would be semi a representative at Allstate, right? So you have what is called the carrier. The carrier is the person who um, you know, would be paying out the claims, they would be taking on the risk. And then me as a captive agent, I would be in charge of the distribution side, right? So this would be signing on people and like uh, getting customers and clients and all of that stuff. If you look at what Adarsh has done, which is so interesting, is that they've effectively become a distribution outlet as well. So they piggyback behind these carriers, right? So it's still some other company that is in charge of the risk and actually funding the claims, but they handle the more lucrative side, which is they do the underwriting, they handle the distribution, right? And what he said to us is this is going to be a very lucrative space and you will see a bunch of other companies replicating this this model because it's very low risk and it's all opportunity because you are actually helping out the carrier by like streamlining their workflow as well and having to taking away a lot of uh you know administrative or operational workflow and bullshit that they would have had to deal with but at the same time you have no risk so that's why i love this model and i think what they're doing is so interesting which you're saying that blackstone assumes the risk but no, they don't actually insure these homes. Like I, don't I don't know, I don't know what they're what the exact model works with Blackstone, but it would be like the same thing with like an Allstate, right? Like an Allstate would be a carrier um, in, in this example, right? Like the Allstate would, they're big oh. enough to where they would have to actually pay out the claims, um, right? Yeah. And they take on the risk. 
but they're just piggybacking off of the carrier. That's what's actually interesting. And so carrier are takes they using the risk. Another, yeah. Are they using another insurance provider to essentially back up the claims? That's right. Like that, so the, has these guys partner. are not the carrier. Yeah, these guys are not the carrier. It's the same example. Oh, they just connect. They just connect their clients to carriers. They do the underwriting. The, so like they're doing the underwriting. They're doing the distribution, getting these people coverage, things like that, right? It's the same example with like the last episode where it's like Crescent is out here trying to get people, like they're getting the customers, but it's another bank that has to actually provide the capital and take on the risk, yeah, right? Yeah, in the yeah, coverage. Yeah. It's a similar model. I love that. Yeah, right. So that's why yeah, it's, 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 it's hella like interesting. A sexy- Sexy high margin candy wrapper over like, you know, just a more boring basic business. Like we were talking about those white label banks that serve all these fintechs. Yeah. And the beautiful. Yeah. That's the great thing, right? It's like we've given a lot of fintech examples, but now we have something in insurance, right? And so what that tells me, and if you're listening to this, is that find another way, right? Who is someone that is well capitalized in an incumbent in the space that, you know, like can take on this risk? How can you ease the operational burden that they face and go build a business around that? Because my hunch is it's going to be a pretty big damn business. Um, and like, dude, I think you there's something in insurance, here. bro. I think you belong in insurance. You I know? just, like I love this shit. I don't know why. I just, yeah, do. yeah, dude. You're like, you should be like the new Warren. You, you love insurance more than Warren Buffett, dude. Like, damn. I just, uh, maybe it's the healthcare thing again. I just appreciate like nuanced businesses like this where it's like, yeah. they are adding a lot of value. I mean, insurance, you, you got to have that shit, but like, <laughs> it's like at the end of the day, like if you can find an arbitrage, like cool, good, good for you. Um, any other kind of interesting takeaways from this business? I also think there's something so cool about being like a young disruptor and like a super boring backwards space. Like, you know, just by virtue of what they're doing and who they are, like everybody at these conferences wants to talk to them and that opens so many doors, right? Like they are the young guns who are trying to change things and just having like being fresh meat in an industry, like for sure you're going to be maybe a target or you're going to be taken advantage of, blah, 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 blah. But there's also just like a great deal of novelty and like clout and like, I don't know, just motivation almost that comes with like entering a space like that as a young entrepreneur right i think it's case by case to be honest i think in their specific situation it's like oh these young guys trying to take on you know maybe uh uh, an asset class that isn't so like you know like appealing to most people and it's like okay well let's see what they can do i think if they were in another regulated space like probably people wouldn't be taking them as as seriously, right? Especially like, again, the healthcare example seems so fresh in my mind, right? But like, if you're at a trade show with like, or a conference where there's a lot of PhDs and you're the young person trying to disrupt, they're probably going to look at you like you're a joke, right? So I think it, it does depend yeah. on the place you're playing in. I guess these guys are kind of flukes too, and that they're like, just fucking geniuses with this model. It's like, what? And yeah. that, that's the reaction they get. I... I think Adarsh is just so sharp. I mean, I remember him from Michigan and, you know, he really, you know, I, I got, didn't like do well at getting into like the, these clubs and these business frats and stuff, but he always like saw the potential in me. And like, we almost like you just sit down with somebody and just speak the same language, like right away. Right. Like we were both entrepreneurs intrinsically. So it's really cool to, to have now like followed his journey. And and I actually didn't know he had started Coverdry. So what a treat to, to be able to like dive deeper into the business and to like be able to talk to him. So totally. What, what do you think is like some challenges for this company? I feel like we've just been kind of 
gassing Adarsh and his, you know, his genius strategy and his charismatic words that he told us before the the pod. But like, what do you think might be some roadblocks for this company as they they look to grow and expand? So I think the biggest challenge that they face is kind of a long-term one, which is they're betting that, you know, modular homes are kind of the de facto way people live, right? Like it it does kind of become more mainstream and it becomes a more accepted asset class. Personally, I don't know if that's going to ever hit the case. Like, I wonder if it just like 10 billion is the ceiling and it, it it's not really going to grow in a material way from there. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, like people like their space, man, like people like having a lot of room. A home is something people are very prideful about. Most people, that's like the biggest goal in their life is like being able yeah. to, to have a beautiful home for their families. So I don't know yeah. if people are willing to just like not do that anymore, right? Just so they can save some money. I think maybe it's a starting yeah. point for some people, but like eventually people will aspire to own like their own homes in a in a much bigger, grander sure. way. So that's I think the the biggest it's risk. Just expensive. Yeah, it's the it's, it's, it's the biggest risk. Yeah. By it's just like I wish our boy Rick could have solved the affordable housing crisis <laughs> before he sold his company. I mean, that is a decades long pursuit. You know uh, what? uh, You know what else I like about this is they've been super hush hush. So uh, big surprise. They're announcing their series A. We're going to break it here on our future podcast. They just did a $13 million series A um, with some big companies in the space. I'm sure Michael is going to make a clip about it. But what's cool about it is instead of this whole building in public thing, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of, is they found this model they kept building. They kept building. They were chipping away. And now they're to a spot where like not uh, another startup would would find it very difficult to compete with them. Because again, even I think right now they insure up to a billion dollars just in Arizona alone. Right. And so they've already got some of the big insurance carriers to become uh, uh, strategic investors in the company. And now they're going to be very in your face and they're going to be very public about what they're doing. And I think that is the right way to do any business, which is be very low key, be very hush. And then you can build in public as much as you want. Once you've actually built some separation between you and any other potential upstart upstart that could come up. Absolutely. You got to build in silence. And then when you got the cash, you got a little bit of progress. We're going to sprint past them. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another awesome episode of Our Future Podcast. Um, We are very happy for those of you that tune in. And uh, the mafia is definitely growing. The mob's growing. And uh, excited to be with you guys next week with another incredibly exciting startup built by a young person. So uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on any of the audio platforms. And last of all, but not least, stay frosty.